Well, it's good to see everybody again. Uh, you haven't quite gotten rid of me, so you're, you're still going to have to deal with me on some of these Wednesday nights. But we're going to be continuing the study that we started last time in the book of Colossians. If you'd like to head that way, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, right where we left off the last service, we're going to be starting in verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. I'll give you guys just a minute to get over there who have your Bibles. We're going to be reading uh, here right at the beginning, Colossians 1, 15 to 19. And if you would, in honor of reading God's word, stand with me. Starting in verse 15, this is the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You may be seated. So we are basically going to be breaking the text that we're going to be talking about today into two major sections. This entire sermon is going to revolve around Jesus Christ. And Paul answers two main things for us. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This first section that we're going to look at uh, is just Paul exalting Christ worshiping him, praising him beyond all, I mean, just lifting him to a level that uh, is almost beyond imagination. Uh, he is running out of words to say anything better or greater about Christ in these first five verses. In these five verses, we are going to look at ten things that Paul tells us about Jesus. Why ten things? Because that's the list that Paul gave us. So we're going to take each one of them one at a time. We'll give a few notes real quick. Um, a lot more could probably be said, but this is what Paul has given us in this passage. And I said a couple months ago, some of you will probably remember, that it never ceases to amaze me how much Paul can say in such a tiny little space. Uh, th this man, through the Holy Spirit, has the ability to take volumes of theology and put it in a paragraph. Uh, what he tells us about Christ right here, uh, to me, is just unbelievable how much he fits into such a tiny little space. Uh, and if you will, starting in verse 15, he tells us he is the image of the invisible God. This is the first thing that he tells us about Christ. Now, Jesus is not made in the image of God in the sense that we are. He is the image. Uh, another text that looks at that in more detail uh, Hebrews chapter 1 calls him the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Jesus is the visible likeness of an invisible God. Uh, and that's what an image is a representation. Yeah. He perfectly embodies everything that God is and does to us. Right? He shows us exactly who he is so much so that in John chapter 14, we're told that he who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And we see a theme throughout these verses uh, that develops around Christ's 
preeminence, his superiority and priority. Uh, nobody else is the perfect expression of God's nature and God's image the way that Jesus is. Uh, in this way and many others, Jesus is totally unique. And, and we'll see that running throughout this passage. There truly is nobody like him. And after this, in verse 15, we're told that he is the firstborn over all creation. And this is really the part of the passage that's probably the easiest to misunderstand, starts the most fights and quarrels, the most controversy will get kicked over. Uh, I'll just go ahead and come out and tell you that this is not telling you that uh, Jesus is a created creature. Uh, it's not telling you that he is... Uh, some sort of lesser God that came after the Father. That, that's, that's nothing to do with what Paul is talking about right here. Uh, the term firstborn does not always refer to uh, the first chronological birth in a family. I know that that probably sounds strange because that's not how we use the term, but I'll, I'll show you in other places in Scripture where uh, they kind of do the same thing. What we're talking about here is Jesus' status. Uh, his rank, his authority. He is the first and supreme over all things. I just want to, real quick, I'm just going to read them a couple of passages to you. The first one is in Psalm 89, and I'm going to read uh, verse 27, where the psalmist says, Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, this is talking about David. David is the youngest brother in a family of eight boys. Uh, right here, he's referred to as the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Uh, in the next passage in Jeremiah 31, we see, uh, They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel... And Ephraim, that's Israel, is my firstborn. Now, Israel is not the first nation. They're not chronologically the first nation that arises. But they have a special status as the firstborn of God. And, and we'll see throughout this passage that who Jesus is, is that Jesus is God. Uh, th this is a teaching that is all over the scriptures, and, and I'm not going to spend too much time dwelling on that, but it is important that you understand that. Jesus being the firstborn over all creation does not mean he's a creature. He is something that is created by God. Uh, why does it matter that Jesus is God? Uh, it matters because we have to have the right Jesus. We have to know who he is. Uh, we're studying the Gospel of John in Sunday school. In that Gospel, the entire Gospel is written so that we will know who Jesus is and believe in His name. Uh, and it is important for us to know Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that He is the highest exaltation, the first in rank over all creation. And in verse 16, we learn that Jesus is the Creator, where He says, By Him... All things were created. Uh, he is the creator of all things. There are no exceptions. Everything on earth, everything in heaven, everything visible, everything that's invisible has been created 
by Christ. He goes through and he talks about principalities and powers. Uh, these are just all the different ranks and kinds of angels, all of them. They all fall under the fact that Jesus has created all things. The, there are no exceptions. He is in a completely different class than any other being physical or spiritual. Uh, and I want to read just one more verse that kind of makes this same point in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, where John says of Jesus, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. It cannot be any more explicit than that. Everything that has been created has been created by Christ. And I want to make a point right here. Uh, very important. Uh, who does Paul say that Jesus is? Jesus is not just a carpenter from Nazareth. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher who has some good things to say as the world would have you believe. He doesn't see him as a prophet among other prophets, like Islam would have you believe. He doesn't even see him as the first and greatest creation of God, like someone like the Jehovah's Witnesses would have you believe. Those are not the Spirit-inspired biblical Jesus we find in Colossians 1. The Bible's Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is in a class all his own. There is no one who compares to him. Uh, and the fourth point that I want to make is that Jesus is the purpose for creation. All things are created by him and for him, Paul tells us. Uh, in a couple other scriptures, Romans chapter 11, we hear, From him, through him, and to him are all things. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, we read, By him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. So why create anything? Why create everything that's in existence? Are, are me, or you, or this church, or this country, or this world the center and goal of this creation? The Bible tells us that all things have been created for him. Uh, his praise, His glory, His purposes, His will. That is why this all exists. Uh, he is the center. He's not just the creator. He is the goal, the end, and the purpose of all things. Uh, fifth, we see that Jesus is eternal. That He pre-existed all things when Paul says He is before all things in verse 17. Uh, in John chapter 1, we're told, In the beginning the Word was with God. The very beginning, Jesus was with the Father. In John 17, we're told that Jesus had glory with the Father before the world ever existed. And in John 8, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. One of his divine qualities that he has is that there has never been a time in which there was no Jesus. Uh, well, I mean, there was a time in which there was no man, Jesus, but God, the God that became incarnate in the man, Jesus Christ, has always existed. He existed before uh, 2,000 years ago. He existed before 2,000 B.C. He existed before the universe even came into creation. 
And Scripture tells us this in many powerful ways. In Revelation 1, Jesus is called the first and the last. Uh, in another place, he's called the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, and this is necessary for him if he's going to be the creator of all things. Uh, and Paul goes on, he just keeps building, and he tells us that Jesus is also the sustainer of all creation. In verse 17, when he tells us, in him all things consist. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to, for Paul to find any other way to tell you that Jesus ha has gotten all of the glory that is humanly possible from creation. He pre-existed it. He has created it. He is the purpose for it. And now he completely sustains it. Uh, and that, that doesn't just mean that he keeps it in being or existing. Uh, he also keeps it in order, in arrangement, keeps things running the way that they're supposed to. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Uh, none of us are independent of Him. Jesus is the one that is keeping all of us and everything we know and love in existence right now. Uh, seventh in verse 18, we're told that Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, where Paul tells us he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, and we're speaking here of Jesus' authority in our church, in our lives. Uh, and Jesus has authority in all things, obviously. Uh, Revelation 1, he's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, in Matthew 28, Jesus himself tells us all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. But here he's metaphorically designated as the head of the body the head of the body that is connected to him. And this is never said of anyone else. There is no man who takes this job. Christ is our head. He is the chief shepherd. He is the highest authority that there is. A church's pastor is not the head of the church. He serves under somebody of greater authority. Uh, there's no man, there's no angel, there's no anybody who replaces Jesus in this role. Uh, he's also called here the beginning. That, that would be the originator of the church. Uh, this tells us that this church is not a man-made institution. This isn't something that we just sat around and came up with. This was God's idea. This was God's work and His doing. Um, we're also united. We are dependent on our head. We are one with him. We have come together with him. And as the body, we are to serve the head. Without him, we cannot think correctly. We cannot act correctly. Uh, there's no room here for any man, any group, any council, any prophet. I'm trying to close every possible way out I can. I'm sure I'll miss something. The point that I'm trying to make is this spot is for no one else. Christ is the head of the church. He's the creator of the church. He's the creator of the universe. And he gets glory from both of them. Uh, so let us always uh, worship and understand who our true leader is. The ninth thing that Paul tells us is that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Uh, and that may confuse you a little bit if, you're, if you've read your Bibles because you might think, well, what about somebody like Lazarus? Right? Well, Lazarus was dead and he was raised from the dead. What's Paul talking about here. Uh, he's talking about somebody who comes back to never die again. Jesus was the first one to rise with his resurrection body. 
Uh, in Acts 26, we're told that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would produce light both to our people, that's the Jews, and to the Gentiles. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. In Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Uh, Jesus is raised to be proved that he is the Son of God, to bring hope and light to the world. Uh, it does not have to be Easter for us to talk about the resurrection. Jesus is still risen 52 weeks a year. And finally, in verse 19, he talks about the fact that God is pleased for all fullness to dwell in him. Uh, so wh what does that mean exactly? What, what exactly is fullness? Fullness is just a term that uh, refers to completeness, totality, everything. Uh, but fullness of what? Uh, and there's another passage I think will help us a little bit. He uses similar language in chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, it's speaking kind of along uh, the same lines here. He's talking about the Godhead, Jesus' godness, all the fullness of God's wisdom, glory, presence, characteristics, all dwelled in the man Jesus Christ. And not only does he have these things, but no one else does. No angel that the Colossian false teachers could worship could ever compare to what is in Christ. All ten of these things are intended to exalt Christ as much as he can possibly be exalted, to show his privileged place, to give him the preeminence, as Paul says. Paul is trying to show us here the difference between the one that we should be worshiping and those that we shouldn't. Uh, and so praise God for all the wonderful teaching that he's given us about our Savior right here. Uh, if you didn't learn anything about Jesus in those ten points, I, I threw everything that I had at you, okay? I'll, I'll try again next time. We're going to go ahead and read the next few verses, verses 20 to 23 where Paul says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, so he now goes on to tell us what Jesus has done, that he has made reconciliation by him to reconcile all things to himself. What, what is that? That is to bring peace and harmony to enemies, to take two parties that are disputing with each other and to make them friends, to change the relationship that the enemies of God had with God. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told how God has done this by not counting their trespasses against them. And in Romans 5, 1, he tells us how we can have this. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken the initiative and given us a way to be reconciled to him uh, and he did this having made peace through the blood of his cross. First uh, John 4.10 says that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
And he has endured God's wrath for us, uh, that Jesus has died for our sins, has borne our sins in his body on the cross, is one of the greatest truths in the gospel. If you've been here the last few months, we've talked about it a pretty good bit, uh, and we should have. Uh, that is something that we should talk about all the time. Jesus has died to bring us reconciliation. And another one of the great truths of the gospel is that he did it for wicked, rebellious, undeserving sinners. In verse 21 he says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Uh, to be alienated is, is to be separated. We always talk about how sin separates us from God. It's, it's to be estranged, cut off, isolated even. Uh, we were once the enemies of God. And not only in action, but enemies in our minds. Uh, we were strangers to God's thoughts the way He thought. We had sinful thinking, a sinful disposition that led us into sinful actions. Uh, we've all produced the wicked works that Paul talks about. Sin is absolutely universal amongst fallen mankind. There is nobody who it does not touch. I don't have to know anything about you. If you are a living human being, I know that this verse applies to you. So because of that, in verse 22, Jesus in the body of his flesh became a human being and came and died a true death in the way that we normally speak about death. Jesus is not a phantom or a ghost. He had a body and he truly died. Um, the, the purpose of this death, we're told, was to present us holy, blameless, above reproach. Uh, and this can be a little bit tricky. Holiness is something that can be used in a couple ways. It's a word that could refer to a status being set apart for God, or it could refer to uh, our internal holiness, actually being made holy by God. And that, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, someday there is going to be no sin. We are going to be purified. Uh, there will be no sin in heaven with God. How great that that is. Not only will we be forgiven, uh, not only will we be forgiven, we are going to be fixed. We are going to be holy. God is going to work within us, and someday that work is going to be completed. And he tells us in verse 23, if we're to have this, we are to continue in the faith. In Philippians 1, Paul tells us that he is confident that God will finish in you the work that he has started. Uh, but not everybody who appears to start the race finishes. Paul is calling for persistence, for steadfastness. It's going to take time. It's a process. Uh, but he knows where the power to do this comes from. In Jude 1, we're told that he who is able to keep you from stumbling. If we're going to persist, to be steadfast, it is going to be because God has kept us, because of His grace and His power. Now, Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. No matter the trial, no matter the difficulty, we have hope. We have something to push forward, and we have a God who can carry us through. In Hebrews 6, we're told that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, and that is Jesus Christ. And lastly, this message has been preached to every creature. Now, I want to read Mark chapter 16, verse 15 real quick. And he said to them, Go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the gospel knows no borders. We've said it before. Jesus has people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Uh, in Ephesians 3, Paul himself tells us that he has been given the privilege to go and preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Every creature includes you. Uh, and every creature includes everyone that you know. You can have the peace and the reconciliation, the relationship with the creator of the universe that we've talked about throughout these passages. It's available for you, not just the other people in this room. You, you personally. If you do not know the Savior that's been talked about today, you can. Uh, the creator, the head of the church, the firstborn has come, the Bible tells us, to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, and just like the prodigal son, no matter how much riotous living you've engaged in, no matter how much sin, no matter how much hostility to God, if you will repent and return to Him, He will greet you with open arms when you do. And I pray that you will. And that's all I have for you today, guys. So if you would, bow with me, please. We're going to go ahead and pray out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everybody that you've brought into your house today. Uh, I thank you for all of the Awana kids, the youth group, all of the leaders who are taking care of them. Lord, we just ask that they would be blessed tonight. All of those are on our prayer list. Lord, we just ask that your healing hand be over them, that, that you would use this church and our message to work salvation in our communities, to, to, to be a light in our nation and our community that brings you glory, Lord. And I just pray that if anybody here today does not know you, that they would come and find you, Lord. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.